Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hi fans, welcome back to another episode of Large Almond Latte. I hope you're all having an excellent week so far. For me, I've just been having another week in paradise, aka my apartment, because I'm in lockdown again. You may recall from my season one in lockdown, I got so bored, I pretended my house was a cafe. Now that I'm in lockdown season two, I've reopened the old ISO cafe, and this week we trialed a new menu. In an attempt to be better for the environment, instead of chomping on some delicious homemade cheeseburgers, which you know I would definitely be sneaking a little bit of that raw mince and snacking on it tartare styles for entree. We forayed into the veggie burger, which was a previously very foreign concept for both me and my significant other. And I've heard that when you're a beginner with the veggie burger, it's a bit like playing Russian roulette. And wow, we definitely got the bullet because that's exactly what it tasted like. Rubber rolled in smoky seasoning. It was gag worthy. I didn't want to waste it though, but even my dog didn't want it and he eats his own shit. Needless to say, it will not be a permanent fixture in the ISO Cafe's winter menu. Today on the podcast, hate following. We discuss the people on socials you can't stop following no matter how much they irk you and how following them can actually be good for you if you follow the rules. Then I dabble in your latest obsessions and fall down a deep dark black hole exploring one in particular and surprisingly it's not a Netflix show. Finally, I review the Netflix sequel of the year, The Kissing Booth 2. You know those people on social media that are just doing it wrong? You find their content completely objectionable, but you would never dream of unfollowing them because the buzz you get from eye-rolling at their posts is better than finally getting to eat brunch at a real cafe. It's like a car crash. You can't stop looking. And screenshotting and sharing with your friends for discussion in your group chat. It's called hate following, and according to people with doctor and psychology in their titles, there are a bunch of different reasons that cause us to take to these posts like a dog to a treat. And for most of us, hate actually is not even on the radar, which is why the name feels a little bit inaccurate and aggressive to me. But the term does also cover the extremists or anti-fans who are basically losers locked up in their parents' house who get joy from straight up trolling and bitching on celebs and influencers. We are absolutely not about that life and that's not what we're going to be talking about. So I'm going to go rogue on the official dictionary definition because yeah, it's in the dictionary, urban dictionary, but dictionary all the same. And moving forward, I'm going to call this concept contempt following. According to a recent study I just made up, at least 10% of our time spent online is spent contempt following. Obviously, no, there are no official stats, okay, but you know we all do it. And it's definitely a real slippery slope into burn book territory, but if you follow the rules, contempt following can actually be good for you. 
So who are these people that we love to not love? Well, I have categorized them into some hopefully relatable categories for you. First up, we have the oversharer. The oversharer will share everything on their socials, from their most recent pap smear results, to videos of them doing squats in the gym, to the settings they wash their towels on. While other people are sharing their best lives on social media, like the right way to do it, the oversharers are sharing their whole life on social media. They'll post like five to seven times a day. They froth a live stream where they can share their daily thoughts as if they are like profound philosophical breakthroughs. Although they are definitely not Voltaire, I am definitely invested. It's like some weird virtual Stockholm syndrome, like they've kidnapped my feed, but now I kind of love it. The vague bookers. Journalism might be an industry in decline, but these friends would have no problem getting a job at a digital media outlet because they are elite in the art of clickbait. You may recognize statuses such as so-and-so has a really hard decision to make or sometimes it's just not meant to be. These friends also really love a cryptic quote post like, with every sunset comes a new dawn. What do these things even mean? I haven't seen or spoken to you in like 10 years, so I'm obviously not going to ask you straight up, but I will deeply stalk you across all channels like a digital Sherlock Holmes until I solve the mystery of that life-changing decision you just had to make. The social media is my therapist. Similar to the oversharer, they have zero virtual boundaries, but unlike the oversharer, they don't post all the time. They save up all of their posting for one giant spicy drama in their life. During said drama, they will vent to their imaginary audience and in doing so, spill all of the tea. For me, these are a step up from the vague bookers because you don't have to do any digging. You can sit back and relax because it's all there served up to you on a platter, like guac at a party. Recently, I watched a divorce between two bodybuilders unfold over Facebook. They're bodybuilders, so you know they were already providing me with elite content. It was through a series of back and forth, very grammatically incorrect thesis-length statuses. Like, instead of reading the morning news with my breakfast... I would read these statuses every morning. It was so juicy, it actually ended up in the UK paper, The Sun. Next up, we have the exes, ex-anythings, ex-friends, ex-boyfriends, ex-colleagues, ex-family members. They actually might be living a completely socially acceptable life in your eyes, but it's the offline contempt for them you have that encourages you to do a deep dive into their Instagram every few months, being extra careful not to double tap a pic from three years ago. Then we have the split personality. So you were once friends with these people, probably periphery friends, but their social media has revealed another side to the person that you met through a friend at university. Popular in this category are those who turn out to be on the bottom rung of a pyramid scheme, the MLMers. It might start with something like them sliding into your DMs. Oh, hey, I don't know if you remember me, but I saw your post about being really tired the other day, and I think I have something amazing that could actually help you. Next minute, they're trying to sell you our bond and essential oils, but you can't stop, even though you definitely don't buy anything. Also in this category, you'll find those engaged in illegal activities, crystal healers, OnlyFans enthusiasts, and general beginner influencers. It is fertile popcorn territory. The unsolicited advice giver. 
obviously we have Facebook experts in this category who will tell you you can reuse your disposable mask, but my preferred type of advice giver that's unsolicited is the influencer who posts an image and caption that are completely unrelated. So the image might be something like them in their bathroom wearing a t-shirt, just covering their undies, maybe this is also a sponsored ad, and they've got a really nice filter going on, but then the text says something completely separate like, live your best life, give to charity, stand tall, don't body shame, be sustainable, just be happy. Really, influencers could have their own category and subcategories, but I feel like that's too much for one episode. The anti-vaxxer. You know I saved the best till last. They froth a YouTube video in replacement of science. They love the term sheeple. While scrolling, you will likely mutter herd immunity under your breath several times. In this category, you can also include virus deniers and Trump supporters. I think it's pretty clear we do not feel hate for any of these people, but what is it about them that makes them more addictive to us than crack? And how is it possibly good for us? There are a few reasons. Number one, we love D-Rama. Psychiatrists believe we have an internal thermostat, and the spicier the drama, the hotter we get, because we have an innate addiction to chaos. Like, pics of you and your friend out drinking on a Saturday night, they're nice, but if you and your friends start throwing wine at each other over live stream, my thermostat is heating up real quick. And yes, that is good for us because it's stimulating. If we're feeling sluggish or low, which let's be honest are two major sponsors of 2020 and lockdown, this can pick us up and make us feel alive and energized like we could basically run a New York marathon. Maybe not that far, but it is great news for our mental health. We nosy. Or to put it politely, we're curious. These people don't operate on social media the same way we do. If they did, their posts wouldn't stand out to us like the sole diversity pick in The Bachelor. So we're curious to understand why they think this way, like why they believe that salary juice would protect them from COVID and why other people are liking these posts. According to cyber hate expert Ginger Gorman, what a name, we're trying to push ourselves outside our comfort zone to consume information we don't agree with in order to expand our thinking. Like if you've ever written an essay, you can't write an essay without considering the other side. It's called critical analysis. And yeah, if you have an education, you will do it innately, I think. And offline, this is why I think I was in the minority, but I really liked the Republican storyline in the bold type. I don't really have any thoughts on the relationship with Kat, but the fact that they brought that character in, it wasn't meant to be comfortable. It was meant to be uncomfortable and thought-provoking. So I know that people listening to this podcast are educated because people that listen to podcasts in general are more higher educated than people that don't. So there's a fun fact for you. So I'm pretty sure that we would all be following people out of curiosity. But we also know that the internet is not a place for a balanced two-sided discussion where either side has merit. You're either educated or you're an idiot. And as Ginger concluded... In the case of most curiosity follows on the internet, the result tends to reinforce our original opinions. Contempt following also has some very practical benefits, says author Kerry Sackville. It can give us a safe outlet to direct our anger and anxiety. And in another study I just made up, 2020 has been a pretty shit year for 98% of us, so we have quite a bit to be angry about. 
but we're not getting into the comment section of a post and venting our anger that way. We're using the contempt following to trigger a rush of adrenaline that we can then release in a positive way. It's kind of like the thrill of drama where it revitalizes us and gives us energy. So go and read a bunch of dumb shit on Pete Evans' Facebook and then go for a run. If I took my own advice, I actually like I would have a better than pre-baby body. Jerno Joel Gilbert was talking about his own social media habits and he said he purposely gets mad online because it gives him energy and he feels a foot taller and can shoot fire from his fingertips and that is the kind of energy I definitely want in my life. We are such nice people that as much as watching our colleagues and our aunties and uncles do TikTok dances makes us absolutely cringe, we can't look away or unfollow them because we would feel too much guilt, says social psychiatrist Dr. Erin Vogel. So sometimes we simply contempt follow people because we feel obligated to. We also do it because we're jealous. And like the white stuff, this one is particularly hard to swallow, but we definitely want that perfect life. Hot bod, rich Ovi, invited to the best events that you probably would decline anyway because CBF. And often we contempt follow because we're following people who do project that perfect life. Even though our mind knows that a 20 centimeter waist and 120 centimeter hips is 300% Photoshop, our eyes are like, they're better than us. I'm jealous. It's irritating, but also addictive, says Dr. Vogel. And more importantly, it can also be motivating. Yeah, like it's annoying to see a Kardashian body sipping on vodka cruises on a 75-foot yacht in the Caribbean with their Hemsworth-esque SO. But it can encourage you to go after some of those same goals, says Dr. Rutledge. I say some because it's definitely a balancing act. While it can be inspirational, it also has to be achievable. And too much of unachievable standards can definitely make you feel substandard and inadequate. I think I can safely say that we've all been personally victimized by unachievable standards on social media, and that's something that we want to avoid where possible. For mine, Heidi Klum returning to the Victoria's Secret runway in 2009, five weeks postpartum, is not achievable for mere muggles, and seeing that doesn't make me feel good about myself. I've accepted, though, that thanks to my baby, I will have a saggy gun for the rest of my life, and this summer I will have to replace all, like, 300 pairs of my skimpy bikinis with high-waisted body and one pieces. But I'm still motivated to achieve a place in life where I can drink cruises on a yacht by finding success with at least one of my get rich plans. And not to be a vague booker, but I actually do have something in the works that I can share in a few weeks. Like using contempt following to release your anger and anxiety in a positive way. Again, this is about turning negative energy into positive energy and releasing that jealousy through motivation. And look at me, I'm talking about energies. Next week, I'm probably going to be talking about crystals and you'll be contempt following me. We contempt follow because it makes us feel better about ourselves. It's innate that we will automatically compare ourselves to other people. It's called social comparison theory. So while we may never post publicly about our ex-boyfriend already posting pictures with his new girlfriend, even though we broke up a month ago and we just bought a dog together and we're actually still sleeping together. So if we see someone else doing it, it can make us feel good about ourselves, according to Dr. Vogel. We basically feel a sense of superiority by elevating ourselves at the expense of someone else, says Ginger Gorman. And that's also why we share it, so we can feel good about ourselves with other people. And yeah, like I'm very guilty of this. I do feel superior when I see a post from an anti-vaxxer because I know that I've got evolution on my side. 
There are definite benefits to contempt following, but if you don't keep yourself in check, you're either going to go full Regina George on yourself or the source, and neither of those is good for your juju. So to reap the benefits, you have to follow the rules. First and foremost, don't at them. Quietly chuckling to yourself over their latest post of them in a bikini but wearing a face mask, holding a handful of crystals at a gym where the caption expresses their disappointment of not being able to fulfill their dreams of moving to London this year is one thing. But leaving a comment to tell them how they haven't photoshopped their waist evenly just makes you a bitch. Get off your phone. Number two. There are no hard rules about a proper dose of time to spend online, according to Dr. Vogel, and thank God, because we'd all be doing some serious jail time if there was. But we also know that the internet is full of black holes, and like a fuckboy, they are nothing but bad news. So when you feel yourself seeing black, it's time to lock your phone in a box for a few hours. Number three, remember what's behind the screen. Like, think back to your Facebook statuses in 2011, and imagine if you were defined by those. Mortifying, obviously. Like, Tequila, 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 or never drinking again. I literally just quickly searched my Facebook memories to find those. And obviously, the quick conclusion is rehab is required. But Dr. Vogel says, remember that people are multidimensional and behind every post is a human. Sometimes they're really shit humans, but that doesn't mean that we should be too. Number four, feel hate. Spread love. Yeah, again, turning the negatives into a positive. It's only natural that we're going to feel jealousy, curiosity, anger, and disdain. And you shouldn't feel bad about having human emotions. You're not Siri. Oh my God, I just realized I've become an unsolicited advice giver. Oh well. Anyway, it's cathartic to release those emotions, but Dr. Vogel says the highest road you can take is to be supportive when you're feeling negative. And I don't know, that road is not in my Google Maps because I find that so hard to do. But also, obviously, you would only do it if their viewpoint is harmless. Like, you're not going to congratulate an anti-vaxxer for successfully winning a fight with the state government to send their unvaccinated child to school. And sorry, I know I always pick on anti-vaxxers, but they're such an easy target. But someone maybe you would spread love to is your friend who's been posting their workout stats every day at lunchtime. Like, congratulations to them for working out every day. Finally, rule number five, unfollow them. If you're not reaping the benefits and it's just toxic, like Celine Dion song, it's time to say goodbye. Get motivated by your content followers that post their Sunday meal prep. But if it gets to the point where you're just feeling bad about yourself or feel the need to start bitching about them or getting into their comments, it's time to go. Contempt following is something we all do as a result of our natural instincts, but being cognizant of where the line is is the difference between mental elevation and the need to repent for our sins. I've recently developed a very latent obsession with Twitter. I started using it as an outlet for like every single thought that I had, like a digital diary, which is kind of perfect for me because my thoughts don't often exceed 280 characters. And yep, just realized I'm also an oversharer on Twitter. But lucky for me, I only have 17 followers. So if you want to follow me, by the way, at Nicolula. Anyway, you might also notice that since my biggest fan, me, thinks that some of my thoughts are absolutely hilarious, I also post them on the Large Almond Latte Instagram even when Jess says I can't. Then I realized I could use Twitter to achieve 
fame. And by fame, I mean featuring in the punky articles where they retell reality TV show episodes through the best tweets, which for the New Zealand listeners, I guess it's kind of like stuff if stuff was written by millennials for millennials. It's such a genius idea. It's literally the laziest form of journalism. It's copy and paste, but nobody's going to kick you out of your university course for plagiarizing. Anyway, it happened by accident for me during the Big Brother launch. Then I had to maintain that standard of wit. So every episode of The Bachelor in Paradise, I am madly tweeting, trying to come up with the funniest memes that are always up the top of the hashtag Bachelor in Paradise thread. It is so stressful, but naturally I've been delivering. So this week, to get you involved with a podcast, I thought I'd ask you, what are you obsessed with in our Facebook group, La Jamon Latte? And firstly, nobody DM'd me with anything illegal for the first time, which was kind of disappointing. But as usual, you did come through with the goods. Fan Molly is still obsessed with Michelle Williams' 2006 Vera Wang Oscars dress, and I feel that. Nix is frothing air crash investigations, which I do not understand, but I do think it's a really good would you rather, which is my favorite game. So before you fly, would you rather watch air crash investigations or the plane scene from Final Destination? It's hard. Catherine is still playing Pokemon Go. Apparently it's like a Mornington Peninsula thing and all the mums are doing it. I don't know. Super weird. Madeline is dangerously obsessed with Dua Lipa, and I'm totally for that because in this new wave of bubblegum pop, like we're talking the generation after Queen Tay Tay and Overrated Bebe, see episode eight for further discussion on that. There's like Charlie XCX, Ava Max, Camila Cabello, and honestly, I know their names, but for me, they're about the same same as Peaches and Nectarines. It's like a 50-50 chance I'll be able to guess which is which, but I do know Dua Lipa, and that is her real name. Yes, because of her banging tunes like Don't Start Now and New Rules. You know, I got new rules, I'm counting. I obviously can't play her songs, but I can sing them out of tune. But I know her because she is literally the only person in the world that can purposefully have two inches of blonde regrowth with slut strands and still look completely banging. I highly recommend you go and listen to some Dua Lipa, but not before you get your ear holes around New Taylor if you haven't already. If you haven't listened to Queen Taylor's new album, Folklore, Get yourself a bottle of red wine, turn the heater up full blast and listen to it. It's definitely the best album of 2020, maybe ever even. But I digress. Fans, one of your obsessions latched me on from the start and sent me way down deep into the interwebs. If you have a small child, chances are you spend 36 to 38 hours a day with the Wiggles. Even when I'm not with them, I spend far too much time thinking about them. I think about whether they all get paid evenly, even though Emma and Simon do all the heavy lifting. I think about whether they've ever replicated the hive the first time they sung Hot Potato together. And I think about how I can also sign Emma's name now, which aside from the rude gestures I've learned in primary school are the only things I can sign. So when Nicole admitted that her obsession was their personal lives, I took the bait. And oh my God, there is tea. It is the most wholesome tea, but still tea. So... In 2013, the yellow wiggle Emma and the purple wiggle Lockie started dating. In 2016, they got married in New South Wales and oh my God, their wedding, stunning, like Pinterest worthy. They are both so beautiful. It should have been on the cover of Vogue. But then out of nowhere in 2018, they announced they were separating. 
Devastating. At the same time, Emma had been diagnosed with endometriosis, which is the condition that one in 10 Australian women suffer from, and it is absolutely debilitating. She had to take six weeks off from touring to recover from her surgery. So side note, the next time someone tells you they have really bad cramps, it's not an excuse. They do. But all Emma wanted to do was get back to her bandmates and prove that there was no bad blood between her and Lockie because they were still best friends because they are both so pure. They genuinely did remain best friends. When you watch them on stage together, even now, their chemistry is so hot. It's basically like watching the children's version of Stevie Nicks and Lindsay Buckingham. Can you imagine being Lockie at this point on tour with women everywhere, Milfies, and his ex-wife is literally the greatest woman in the world and could definitely be his wingwoman, which she was because Lockie is no fuck boy. The Wiggles were on set one day after they had separated and the Australian Ballet was on set with them and Emma's like, oh my God, that girl would be perfect for Lockie, my husband. And guess what? Lockie is now engaged to her. Her name's Dana and she's a ballerina. Emma has also found a new love. And of course, it wouldn't be the Wiggles if they didn't meet on set. Emma is currently dating Oliver Bryan, who is a musician for the Wiggles and also has an adult band with Blue Wiggle, Anthony Field. I feel you, Nicole. I cannot get enough of this wholesome, bold and the beautiful. The last few weeks, I have accidentally reviewed some absolute stinkers that have made me want to headbutt nails. So I was so excited to watch this movie because I secretly, not so secretly, I out and proud love the first one. But more importantly, I was so excited to watch this because the two lead actors are exes. And there is just something so thrilling about watching every scene to see if they subtly cringe when they have to touch, which disappointingly they do not. So yes, I loved the first one, but I also only have so much room in my tiny mind to remember movies. And the Kissing Booth OG was gone a long time ago. So here is a quick recap. Elle, who is Joey King from the act, and Lee have been best friends since they were born at the same hospital together. But she had a super huge crush on his older brother, Noah. And if you've seen Jacob Elordi from Euphoria and also Australian, you would see why. He's stunning. So Elle and Lee set up a kissing booth for their school fundraiser, and Noah's there. Elle and Noah kiss, and oh my god, sparks fly. They keep hooking up secretly, and it gets slightly messy when Lee walks in on them, but then they kiss and make up. The end. Cue number two, and... Buckle up because this movie goes for over two hours and there is so much going on. I'm going to try and keep it pretty tight with no spoilers because I strongly suspect that a lot of you will actually watch this one, unlike some of my other reviews, all of them. So, Al has just had the best summer of her life with her super hot boyfriend Noah in Santa Monica, which is actually Cape Town in South Africa, at his super rich beach house, playing video games, going on cute dates, montage. But then Noah has to go to Harvard 3,000 miles across the country because he's a year older than her. I think that Harvard sponsors this movie because you will see that name flash up approximately 2,343 times. Al has to go back to school, which to be honest, I'm not sure if it's a school or a porn set because their uniforms are really short and really tight and they wear like nine inch heels to school. What? Long distance is so hard, you guys. Noah is caught up with trying to adjust to a place that doesn't care that he was prom king and he's super hot. Meanwhile, Al is trying to keep herself distracted from missing Noah. She tags along everywhere with Lee and his girlfriend, Rachel, and because the girlfriend is not interested in a thruple, she gets real filthy about it. 
just when you think that they might get the hang of this long distance thing, enter thirst traps. There's a new guy at school, Marco. And is he a teacher or a student? Because he legit looks 30. No, he's a student, just a very mature looking student. He can also sing and play guitar, which makes Al extra thirsty, especially when he sings in Spanish. At the same time, Noah has struck up a friendship with basically a British supermodel. Al and her best friend Lee are massive video game nerds. They even do a podcast about it, and I should probably call her to get some tips. They're at the local arcade when they notice a $50,000 prize for the winner of a Dance Dance Mania competition. You know that arcade game where you have to follow the moves on the screen with your feet so you look like you're dancing? Elle realizes she could totally pay for college with that money. Much like the Brady Bunch movie where they enter the talent competition, this is a very disproportionate amount of prize money in order to suit the movie plot. Lee sees an out. He pretends that he's hurt his ankle so Marco can replace him in the Dance Dance team and he can spend some time with his girlfriend without telling Elle that his girlfriend is super pissed at her. So hot Marco steps in and they train together every day after school. He's actually so old. They train together and go on the Ferris wheel together. They have DMs on the beach together and dance together at the Halloween school dance. So obviously we know where this is going. While Al has those feelings to sort out for Marco in the back of her mind, she visits Noah in Boston and obviously forgets about it because it's the cutest date montage, which I am obviously loving because of the whole extra situation. Al feels a little bit awkward when she goes to dinner with Noah's friends because think of them as the American version of Marianne's friends from normal people. She looks like an absolute child sitting at that table and she leaves Boston feeling very sad and unsure about the future of her relationship with Noah. Before she went on that Boston trip, Noah had convinced Al to apply to Harvard, even though she has a friendship code with Lee that says they have to apply to the same university, UC Berkeley. So stupid, FYI. Lee finds out that Al's applied to Harvard. He absolutely throws his toys out of the pram and things go really pear-shaped from here. So things are a real mess for Al. Her bestie's throwing shade at her. She has a big fat crush on the new hot guy and her relationship is just not on solid ground. But instead of this movie climaxing at one event, which you may recognize from my reviews by the line, It's the day of the big. There are four climaxes in this movie. The dance competition, a Thanksgiving lunch, the kissing booth, and homecoming. Actually, it's 4.5 if you count that there was nearly an airport scene, which after last week, I just could not handle. But either way, it's a lot. By the end, there are still so many questions, but I think that was just a very strong hint from the filmmakers that they'd like a threequel. I have so many good notes on this movie, but if I went into more detail, we would be here for hours, which neither of us have the attention span for. While there is a lot going on in this movie, it's all predictable basic bitch storylines, so don't worry, you'll have no trouble following along. I'm not sure, though, if it commands a two-hour and 12-minute length. I didn't finish the movie until after 10pm, which I'm mad about because that's way past my bedtime and I was so tired all the next day. I'm going to dock them a point for that, so I'm going to give it 6.5 out of 10. Thanks for listening to Large Arm and Latte. If you loved the podcast, a five-star rating and review would really help validate us. Large Arm and Latte exists because of your opinions, so keep sharing them in the Facebook group Large Arm and Latte, on the gram at Large Arm and Latte Media, and visit largearmandlatte.com to read, write, engage, subscribe to our newsletter, and generally get your peepers around even more brunch banter.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.